Okay, then so we are. Three, two, one. Let's do it live. <clears throat> I have a dream. This nation will rise up. Live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Everything they propose or proposing will make inflation worse. Everything will make inflation worse. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Rob Long, Steve Hayward, the sitting for Peter Robinson. I'm James Lilacs. Today we talk to Toby Young in Britain about that mess and Jim Garrity about the elections. So let's have ourselves a podcast. I can hear you! Welcome, everybody. It's the Ricochet Podcast, episode number 615. Why don't you join us at ricochet.com? Would it just kill you to join? Well, I mean, don't wouldn't. That's really, really a bad way to put it. We'd love for you to come to ricochet.com and be part of the most stimulating conversation and community on the web. Go there and you will say, Where's this been all of my life on the internet? Well, waiting for you. We're patient and uh, welcome. I'm James Lilacs here in Minneapolis. Beautiful day. Snow on Monday, 70s today. Rob Long is in, I believe, Whoa. New York. And I am, uh, we're joined- I am in fact. Sitting in for Peter Robinson, who I believe now is never coming back and is probably in some Estonian prison, uh, is Stephen Hayward. Stephen, welcome. Hi, James. Hi, Rob. Good to be back with you guys. Good oh, to have you. Good. Estonian prison doesn't sound so bad, actually. No, it really doesn't. It sounds <laughs> Estonia, very Estonia, more and more, sounds like a kind of a good country. We ought to, we ought to re, <laughs> right. be more and, Estonian, I say. And one we want to keep in the orbit of the West, as opposed to being under the boot heel of the Russians. But going to the other side of the world, where a communist or authoritarian government holds sway... Interesting news this week about China and technology. Biden administration had this uh, comprehensive strategy they built to move us, the U.S., uh, forward to offshore and in the process seemingly decapitating the entire Chinese semiconductor and AI industry overnight by telling everybody there, okay, you can uh, stick around and work if you want, uh, Americans and uh, green card holders, but uh, you're going to lose your citizenship, so you might want to quit. And they all quit. Uh, gentlemen, have you heard of this story and what do you think of it? Well, I guess I'll go first, James. Yeah, because uh, I'm, uh, I'm staring at you, uh, Steve. I want you to first. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I, I mean, first, a, a general point uh, and then the specific. You know, I think the one thing you can say that uh, Donald Trump really changed decisively was a bipartisan dislike of China. And by the way, that's international. I saw some public opinion data yeah. a while ago now that showed that. The world opinion of China among Europeans and everywhere else has plummeted in the last five, six years. And I think Trump is largely responsible for that. And one area of continuity with the Biden foreign policy is being tough on China. So you you do that score that one for Trump. Now, on the chip business, China clearly wants to dominate technology. And there are workshop, right, for iPhones and everything else. Uh, and we're finally getting serious, saying we're not going to let them take control of uh, you know, the chip industry can get ahead of us. And there are lots of news reports the last month or two that China's heavy investment in trying to develop their own homegrown chip industry has fallen short. Uh, I mean, maybe this is an overstatement, but China tends to just copy and steal our technology. Mm-hmm. And actually, with a few exceptions, hasn't gotten very far ahead of us, I don't think, in very many areas. Uh, well, you know, that's a big sweeping statement to say, and I'm sure some listeners will point out 10 exceptions. Uh, So uh, the one question this raises, the troubling one is um, the big chip manufacturer, one of the most important nodes is on Taiwan. Mm -hmm. 
And does this uh, creeping, deliberate isolation of China increase the odds that China is going to finally move against Taiwan? That's not a new question, but that has to be raised in all of this. Rob, how much do you think, uh, Stephen pointed out that correctly, that uh, Trump was one of the reasons that people started to look at China askance without the usual rose-colored glasses? How much do you think this has to do with China itself? You mean, uh, oh, you, you mean uh, it's the totalitarian the, dictatorship uh, thing? You mean the fact that it's a, 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 a deadly regime, a genocidal regime, or, or just the fact that it has a billion and a half people in the and until 30 years ago, they were uh, 200, 300 million of them were starving. The the actions of the government itself, they could get away with being all the things that they are if they didn't seem to be what they are now, which is worse. And I know that is exactly the most comprehensive and detailed geopolitical analysis. But Chinese behavior in the last two or three years um, has shifted, has it not? Yeah, it's shifted. It's come a little bit more desperate, a little more concerned. I mean, part, part of the problem with China is that there's a lot, whole lot of Chinese people, but a lot of them are old. Um, and so the Ch- Chinese have a demographic problem. They have the opposite problem. I mean, they don't have a, they have the opposite situation as India, which has a huge population, but is younger. So as fam- famous Indian finance minister, I think at one point said, uh, China is going to get old before it gets rich. Um, and that's sort of an interesting, uh, an, an, an interesting analysis. The second problem with China really right now is that, um, the thing that they excel in, in manufacturing of electronics is something that is slowly and irrevocably becoming more and more um, automated. I mean, there is a future in which we, the four, the three of us on this podcast might, will live to see where when you buy your new iPhone, you go to the iPhone store and you buy it and you come back an hour later and they've, printed it and fabricated the, it fabricated it in the back that's what Just i want to like see. lens crafters and you get your iphone in about an hour so you um, can say and it'll say designed in california built in minnesota I yeah like that. built in the <laughs> built in behind the apple store into the mall of america um th- th- those are things that are happening right and they're happening very quickly and china made a bunch of you know a bunch of i think tactical and strategic errors if you're a dictatorship early on one of them was i mean look in the old days if you're a dictatorship here's what you did the East German Stasi police did it. The, the Russians, the Soviets did it. You go around and you break up and bash with hammers printing presses. That's what you do. You're like, no printing presses. If the Stasi found an unauthorized typewriter, they would get real. You'd be in big, big trouble, right? So what did the what does the, the Chinese dictatorship do about 30 years ago? It decides to go into the business of manufacturing printing presses, about 20 million billion a day. Uh, for the, the entire world, including China. And now they have to fight a rear guard action of trying to keep their people from using this technology to sort of complain, which is very, very hard to do. Um, one of the reasons I think they're so, they like lockdown so much isn't because they believe in a zero COVID policy, although they do. It's also because they kind of like the fact they really, if they could, they would want everybody to stay home and off the streets. That They like that too. Um, so we, we, we tend to obsess, I think, in this country on how we're going to lose, how it's going to fall, how the Chinese are better and smarter and going to uh, uh, oh, oh, you know, just overtake us. And I think we need to start actually preparing to win um, because the winning is really challenging, as we found out in the Cold War. Winning what I don't requires like, what an I don't, enormous amount of effort and strategy. Go ahead. Sorry. 
And you're right, and that's good. If only the winning doesn't resemble in so many ways adapting a, a, a lot of the basic underlying ideas of the people that we're trying to fight. In other words, are we going to have a social credit system where people are unable to get jobs or houses or apartments or something like that because they have the wrong political opinion? Nah, I don't think so. But well, it, hand, it, it definitely we, English departments and fact and university faculties, we already have that. Right. I mean, I, I, I really but, mean but that. There, we already but have there, that. But there is a creeping tendency, and it's not official, it's soft, it's not hard. There's not a code that comes up in your phone that says you are now read politically and ergo you cannot do this, that, or the other. But there is but on the other hand, there is a sort of soft enjoyment of these things by our our Davos WEF technocratic elite. I guess because I, maybe. It, but because it, it it's a it's a good idea to poke and prod the recalcitrant masses toward doing the right thing, which is saving the planet and living in boxes and eating bugs, etc. I, I, I guess I'm in the position of being the Pollyanna today because I have to say mm -hmm. the Republicans who are um you know completely unworthy of of this. I mean, I think in the sense that they're a, a political party in America and all both political parties in America, the big mean the big ones are utterly unworthy of their stature. The Republicans are probably, if all the polls show, gonna. <laughs> gonna actually do not terribly in the midterms they may even get the get the senate back barely uh don't think they'll get the house back but they'll do they'll do pretty well they should be uh absolutely um they, they should of course they should be doing much much better the the truth about the republicans is they're not going to do as well as they should because it's they're an incompetent political party and the democrats are are going to do a considerably worse than they than they needed to because they're an incompetent political party the truth is that the American people are incredibly, incredibly pissed and quixotic and unpredictable. And that alone is going to be our strength. And it's going to keep us from, you know, falling into some kind of Chinese uh, uh, social credit system. We're just we're just unruly and ungovernable, which is what I like. We I, are just just a bunch of pains in the butt. Um, and mm -hmm. sometimes that's, you know, sometimes the, it bugs us and sometimes it bugs the other side. And um well, I, I don't think we're in a great position right now uh, culturally, but but I, I think that is going to ultimately our way out of this is exactly our orneriness and our uh, our sort of uh, our love for some reason of political chaos. Champing oh, at the well, champing at the bit of Stephen, who has yeah. Thoughts. Well, I was going to say, there you go again, Rob. Uh, you've gone so far <laughs> this time that I'm thinking we're going to have to take your Rhino card away from you. Um, mm -hmm. uh, look, I mean, uh, I'll skip the political science lessons about. Of course, parties are big and sprawling and incompetent in this country. That's in certain ways ungovernable on purpose. Uh, the the thing that's worrisome that both parties have these vague complaints about, but nothing concrete on the table, is that some of that. I guess I'll use the current phrase, the space that parties are supposed to fill uh, is being uh, taken over by, you know, big tech. I mean, I'm thinking of, uh, and you guys have talked about this a lot in previous episodes, you know, the censorship by Twitter and Facebook and all the rest, uh, the search engine results skewed by Google and other, uh, other tech companies. And that becomes a political force of its own, unaccountable to voters. And, you know, that's very worrisome. Uh, I'll just mention, by the way, I keep testing and getting myself deliberately thrown in Facebook jail, not on political grounds and, you know, uh, doing COVID misinformation and other things that they jump all over. Uh, they have a policy against dangerous individuals. And it's completely incoherent. So, you know, right now, the big show on, uh, is it Netflix about Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer? Mm -hmm. Well, I like to post Jeffrey Dahmer memes on Facebook, and I get thrown in jail for 30 days for doing it because he's a dangerous individual. You know, one that got me 30 days in the Who Scout was Jeffrey Dahmer saying, if we run out of food, we'll still have each other. 
<laughs> and that, you know, so, but so, and I posted ads for the uh, the Netflix show on on when I got reinstated. They don't take those down because they can't. Or I posted YouTube videos of Norm Macdonald going off on Jeffrey. The point right. is, there's an unaccountable power here, and when it gets beyond things like dangerous individuals and worrying about uh, you know copycat killers or something like that, and it gets on the politics, as we saw with uh, you know the New York Post and the Hunter Biden laptop, then we've got a real problem. How is that, how is Dahmer still a dangerous individual? I mean, uh, it'll be co- I think it'll be copycats is the, is the theory, James. And, oh, okay. and, you know, my my rejoinder is, OK, what about uh, putting up uh, what's his name uh, from Silence to the Lambs? Uh, you know, an image of uh, Hannibal Lecter, uh, yeah. well, Hannibal Lecter or Dexter, you know, the, but the, uh, the idea right? that the, the Twitter would would ding you for putting out a picture of somebody who's just had a nine or ten episode HBO right. uh, uh, Netflix special, in addition to the Jeffrey Dahmer tapes for right. those people who want to listen to it. Also, wisdom. I mean. You know, I don't. I, I don't really mean this, but it's a copy. If you're gonna copycat Jeffrey Dahmer, I mean, <laughs> I don't. I don't think a tweet is like you're already. If mm-hmm. that's if that's if that's among the choices for your life, legitimate possible choices for your life. I don't think Steve Hayward's tweet's gonna push you over the edge. It seems like it's a high bar <laughs> to, to, to to meet. Like you're already like, well, you know, I could do this. I could be a cannibal, or I could. I guess God, God, Steve Hayward's tweet was pretty persuasive. Maybe I'll be a cannibal. That doesn't seem likely. Um, I, look, I think all those things are true, but I I actually feel like um, you know, I kind of felt like this way in the 2016 um. Uh, election winners. We don't win anymore. We don't win anymore. Republicans don't win anymore. And Republicans seem to be winning. They had, were running against a very, very popular Democratic president, and they got the House and the Senate back, and they basically like stopped a very, very liberal president from uh, enacting a whole bunch of socialist policies, and took the uh, the thanks out of uh, Obamacare or whatever it was. So they did pretty, I mean, considering the other side is going to win every now and then, you have to do what you have to accept. Um, they did pretty well. Our problem in America in general is that we have a really hard time um, winning the peace. We, we we either do it Marshall Plan style, which we just like cost a bajillion trillion dollars. And by the way, um, we've it, it, in 1990, we had an incredibly bloody terrifying war in civil war in the balkans which we kind of forget and we now have another war of conquest in the ukraine like it's not like europe is behaving so um hmm. anyway so what i what i feel like is is that we just have to be prepared uh just to, just as we have to be prepared for russia and ukraine and we have to be prepared in china for what happens um when those places become unstable by their own hand uh but because they have nukes, because they have a lot of power, it's going to be a problem that we're going to have to solve, or we have to plan to solve. And I, I would just, think, I would spend more time planning, not the uh, successful uh, takeover of Taiwan by China, but I would spend more time planning the just the disastrous chaos that erupts when China falls apart or has an uh, interior, um, you know, revolution, which by the way has every, about every 60, 70 years. Anyway, uh, it's not like I'm inventing something that the Chinese don't do. They go a they go bananas in that country about every 75 years. We are due. We are mm-hmm. late, in fact, for another uh, solipsistic, uh, um, self-centered Chinese meltdown. And an extension-level event meteor and the caldera. It will yell us. We're all <laughs> over maybe, maybe it'll happen in the same news week, and that'll be an interesting time on Twitter. I don't know. I think the breakup of Russia is more likely. And I should be doing my part by packing on more calories so that when food supplies become disrupted, I have the chance to, you know, 
use my own reserves. But no, me, I started going to the gym this week. And the strange thing is, yeah. after a long absence, is that it becomes instantly addictive. Well, I have to go back there tomorrow and do better and get better. And, you, you know, you get I into I do that not because- have that problem. Well, I do. And now I'm back into it. And so I'm, uh, I have a, another thing to add to the daily stuff, but you know, routines like that are what keep you healthy. Good health starts with good habits. Quip. Quip makes it easy to get those good habits out. Well, by delivering all the oral care essentials you need to care for your mouth. The Quip electric toothbrush. You heard of that, right? Of course you have. It's loved by over 7 million mouths. And what does it have? It has timed sonic vibrations. They're great. 30-second pulses guide you on a dentist-recommended two-minute clean. It goes bzz, 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 and you switch your quadrants. It's great. Lightweight, sleek design for adults and kids. No wires, no bulky charger to weigh you down. A multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount for less clutter in your bathroom. And reusable handles in a range of sleek metal hues. They're cool. You can just see somebody in Miami Vice using these, including the best-selling all black and all pink as well as bright plastic colors to make sure you got a pop on your bathroom counter. So are you on top of your brushing? Well, you can upgrade your quip with a new smart motor, a new smart motor that tracks and improves your brushing with the free quip app. That's right. Your toothbrush talks to your phone, a sentence we never would have said 20 years ago. You can even earn amazing rewards like free refills and products and Target gift cards and more because your toothbrush talks to your phone. Now, beyond the brush, the Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine. Try their sugar-free refillable gum. Yum. has a long-lasting mint flavor, and it comes with a dispenser. And you can try their refillable mouthwash that's a four-times concentrate. Plus, it's good for you, and it's good for the planet. It's not a lot of extra waste. Quip delivers it all. Every three months from $5. That's it. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the hustle and bustle of in-store shopping. With stylish and affordable electric brushes starting at just 25 bucks, you will not be paying through the teeth for better oral health. If you go to getquip.com slash ricochet right now, this very moment, you will get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash ricochet. Spelled at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash ricochet. Quip, the good habits company. And we thank Quip for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And now we welcome back to the podcast, Toby Young, founder and director of the Free Speech Union. He runs The Daily Skeptic. He is associate editor of The Spectator and co-host of the London Calling Podcast. It's his third appearance of the podcast in the last couple of months because stuff is happening in England. And the latest, Toby, over here, those people who walk by the television and look at the headlines, apparently trusts uh, her coalition went away because of tax cuts and uh, energy and something or other. We're not quite clear. Explain it for us. What happened? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm terribly clear myself. Um, <laughs> events have been moving very quickly um, here in the UK. Um, but Liz Truss was elected leader of the Conservative Party about six weeks ago um, after a protracted three-month-long leadership contest. Um, and uh, she's already resigned, making her the shortest-serving prime minister in British history. Um, and uh, things started to go wrong uh, almost from day one. Um, the uh, turning point seemed to be the mini budget she announced, um, uh, or rather her chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, announced, um, in which not only was uh, the government offering up to £200 billion of support to help people pay their energy bills because energy prices are skyrocketing over here in Europe. But in addition, £45 billion of tax cuts um, and no proposal um, uh, to cut public expenditure or no real 
um, idea, seemingly, in the mini-budget of how the British government was ever going to pay back all this additional money it was going to have to borrow to fund these tax cuts and fund this energy support package. And given that the British government borrowed about half a trillion um, to stop people, to pay people not to work and to stay at home during our three lockdowns over an 18-month period. Um, I think the bond markets and the currency markets uh, got a little bit spooked. Um, the pound started to plummet against the dollar. Um, gilt ye yields um, uh, started to increase. Um, and uh, she suddenly began frantically U-turning. So she'd announced that the top the top rate of tax was going to be cut from 45p in the pound to 40p in the pound. That was reversed. Um, then um, uh, it, 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 she fired her chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, um, and appointed a, um, a, a zero-Covid zealot and sort of one-nation conservative centrist called Jeremy Hunt, um, whose surname people often get wrong, whether consciously or unconsciously. Um, and uh, uh, But that didn't seem to do the trick either. He announced, uh, uh, he, he, he essentially disavowed almost every measure announced in Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng's mini budget in the hope of restoring um, uh, Britain's uh, credibility uh, with the bond markets and the currency markets. And he did steam to stabilise things for a bit. Uh, and then she got into a row with her Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, over immigration levels. Part of, uh, part of the government's uh, pro-growth strategy was to be a bit more relaxed about immigration when, uh, you know, a lot of the former Labour voters that switched to the Conservatives in 2019 switched because they're fed up with the current levels of immigration. And Suella Braverman thought that was a betrayal of those voters and a betrayal of the Conservative manifesto. So she resigned, or maybe she was fired, it's not terribly clear. But uh, people began to think, good Lord, Liz Truss, you've lost your Chancellor, you've now lost the Home Secretary, um, uh, the markets don't seem to like what you're doing, you've reversed almost every policy you've announced. Uh, the parliamentary party began to rebel. There were chaotic scenes in the House of Commons uh, on Thursday. Uh, they were gonna, it was a vote to, um, the Labour Party were trying to scupper the Conservatives' decision to lift the fracking ban. Um, and uh, Liz Truss didn't want them to scupper it. So she initially said that the vote on it was going to be a confidence vote, which meant that any Tories not voting her way would lose the Conservative whip. And then she, and then, and then, and then she said, no, no, I've changed my mind. It's not going to be a confidence vote after all. At which point the chief whip and the deputy chief whip resigned in disgust. And then there were chaotic scenes when Liz Truss was chasing the chief whip and the deputy <laughs> chief whip around the parliamentary estate, begging them to reconsider. She couldn't didn't think she could survive if there was another high-profile resignation from her cabinet. Um, and in the course of chasing the chief whip, she herself abstained from this critical vote on fracking. So was she going to take the whip away from herself? Was it a confidence vote? Wasn't it? <laughs> Complete chaos in the House of Commons. Yeah. And uh, by, by the following day, by Friday, I think it was clear that the game was up. And she made a very brief, less than 90-second resignation speech on the steps of Downing Street with her husband's standing in the background with his fists clenched, looking very dour and unhappy. And she's uh, going to go as soon as a new prime minister is in place. And thank the Lord, the next leadership election is not going to take three months.
months. It's all going to be over within a week and we should have a new Prime Minister at the very latest by next Friday. And if it isn't Boris Johnson, and we'll talk about that in a second, I'm sure, it will be, I think, our third Prime Minister um, in uh, less than two months, which uh, which isn't a great look. But uh, there well, it is. It's a very Italian look. Very yeah, the exactly. Italian fashions are coming to England. Um, so, all right, I got a bunch of questions, Toby. Um, first, uh, this is going to be the most complicated episode of The Crown. I, I can only imagine. Just it's going to. You're going to have to send a, have to send a little brochure so we can follow it. Um, yeah, but all it, this it, sounds like a chaotic first couple months of a say the Biden administration. It doesn't sound to American ears. It just sounds like well, you know, they weren't prepared. A lot of crazy stuff happens. Usually, when somebody gets into office the first time, there's a lot of mistakes. She didn't really have that. She wasn't. Um, she hadn't clawed her way to the top, so she didn't have a lot of broken glass behind her. She didn't already have a lot of people. Uh, there were not a lot of heads on on sticks, as we say in politics, behind her, right? The politicians who seem to be the most powerful or the most effective when they get into the top job are the ones that have, have, have committed the most atrocities and uh, stabbed the most people in the back and are, you know, climbed to a you know, mountain of skulls to get to the top spot. She didn't seem like she's that person. But, I mean, you know, what? are you telling me she couldn't have held on? I mean, the American style is just to hold on, just to just to power through this period and you trust that in three weeks, four weeks, it'll all be forgotten. But for some reason, I mean, does that not work at the UK? Well, it you doesn't that's work. You've had three prime ministers in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, the reason that doesn't work in the UK, Rob, is that um, the prime minister uh, is dependent upon the support of um, his or her parliamentary colleagues. You know, we have a kind of intermingling of the um, executive and legislative branch of the government. So unlike in your presidential system, where a president can cling on, even if um, he's lost the Senate and lost the House of Representatives, over here, if a prime minister loses mm -hmm. the confidence of the House of Commons, it's very difficult for them to continue. I think the problem was that Liz Truss had lost the confidence of her own party party in the House of Commons. Um, and one reason for that is because the part that the Conservatives are doing so badly in the polls. We're seeing record polling numbers. It looks like, uh, you know, not only will Labour on the current prognosis win an absolute majority at the next general election, but the Conservatives will win so few seats that, they'll, that the SNP, the Scottish Nationalist Party, will have more seats than the Conservatives and become the official opposition, um, uh, which is uh, a shocking <laughs> development and deeply humiliating for the Conservative Party. And I think a lot of Tory MPs thought, my God, if we don't get rid of this woman, right. we're all going to lose our seats at the next yeah. general election. And m many of these people, Rob, are absolutely unemployable in any other capacity. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm familiar with that. We, we have that over here, too. <laughs> so I guess, I mean, I know Steve wants to get into, but I just did a couple more. So, um, uh, um, you know, in the United States, the the, um, the, the smart set, you know, you know the, the clever people, when they're pushed, when usually when it's a president's elected, they don't like, they say things like, well, you know, a parliamentary system is so much better. A parliamentary system is so much fairer. A parliamentary system, whatever, all those things. And I always think, well, that's dumb. I think our, I think they're, I think the parliamentary system's dumb. And our, our, you know, like I was like, I'm, that's my sophisticated analysis. We're smart. They're dumb. Uh, but I kind of always thought, you know, actually, when you have the, when the president's from your party or your sort of uh, your aligned ideologically, you kind of wish that they had control of the entire government. And they just get things done. Right. Um, 
it seems like probably at a, at a fractious time like this, when the uh, the traditional guidelines or traditional uh, borderlines between conservative and liberal that you have liberals who are very against immigration and you have some conservatives that are really thinking hard about why we are sort of reflexively free market you have all these sort of crisscross sort of you know uh, cross pollinations of these parties that um both a presidential system chief executive system and a parliamentary system are extremely difficult to get things done so i guess my next question to you is if that's the case if we're looking for we're looking at a lot of volatility in the big democracies in america and in, in the world United States, Britain, uh, some some of the democracies in, in in Europe. What what would you suggest for the next? If you had to, if you had to go into a lab and create the next prime minister, what would that prime minister be? Who would, who would that person be? What would they be like? Hmm. Um, what do they need to keep this from happening again? And and don't say Boris because we're going to talk about Boris in a minute. I know okay. you love Boris. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, yeah, it's a good point, Rob, because um, one of the benefits of our parliamentary system, as well as our first-past-the-post electoral system, is it's supposed to deliver clear majorities, clear results, so we can have stable government for at least a five-year period. Um, And that doesn't seem to be the case, um, at least not at the moment. And I think the reason for that is that, um, you know, most political parties are coalitions of different groups with different ideological agendas, and they put aside their differences and come to together to win elections and can usually paper over those differences, you know, uh, to to maintain the illusion of unity and stability. Well, that hasn't been possible in the Conservative Party. Really, uh, uh, ever since the Brexit referendum, the Conservative Party, and before that, has been split between the kind of Eurosceptic and Europhile factions, the kind of uh, uh, patriotic Merry England faction and the kind of globalist faction. And um, the globalist faction lost when um, uh, Boris won in 2019, but they were pretty unhappy about that and have been plotting his demise almost Mm -hmm. from the day he won an 80-seat majority in 2019. They saw their chance when he got embroiled in various scandals, got rid of him, but then the Borisites um, uh, 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 didn't want to see Rishi Sunak, who's very much a sort of standard bearer of the other team, even though he actually did vote for Brexit. Nonetheless, he's very much in the globalist pro-European mould. They didn't want to see him ascend to the throne, so they chose Liz Truss instead because she at least was a Brexiteer, even though she voted for Remain in the 2016 Euro right, referendum, right. Um, European referendum. So um, I think, uh, uh, and, and so they, they, when she began to kind of falter and misstep, they saw an opportunity to defenestrate her. But the problem is, whoever wins, um, it's likely the battle is likely to continue. The civil war won't be over. Um, if uh, uh, and uh, you know, someone called Penny Mordant, um, uh, who sort of come from nowhere. It sounds yeah. like a it sounds like a, a Ben Johnson play. Right. Yeah, well, well, she she she's very much trying to pitch herself as the unity candidate in the current leadership contest. Um, somehow, a middle way between Boris on the one hand and Rishi Sunak on the other, the only person who can unite the party. But I don't think she has. I don't think I don't think that's a particularly credible pitch, and I can't see her winning. And whoever, who, so in all likelihood, I think this time round, if Boris does come back, then the other faction, rather than kind of. Uh, 
um, uh, grin and bear it uh, and wait their chance to depose him again may break away and form a new liberal conservative party, uh, just like what happened in 93 in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toby, it's uh, Steve Hayward out in California sitting in for Peter today. Uh, you know, at first I was enthusiastic about trust because she said uh, Margaret Thatcher is back. Uh, and then I was very dismayed when she, the government did the U-turn on the tax cuts and the, the mini budget, as it was called. My mind ran back briefly to 1981 because I'm an old guy. And at that time, both in the UK and in the US, the economies were tanking, inflation remained high, and stock markets went down. And a reporter asked Ronald Reagan, gee, Wall Street doesn't seem to think much of your economic program. And Reagan's response was perfect. He said, well, you know, I've never found Wall Street to be be a very good source of economic advice. And at the same time, you know, uh, almost exactly the same time as when Thatcher gave that famous speech to the party that was divided, uh, as the party is today, where she said, the lady's not returning. Well, that was a big signal that she was going to master this subject and like Reagan was going to see it through. Reagan's slogan then became, stay the course through the difficult times. My first thought when uh, uh, the government backtracked here a couple of weeks ago was, well, that's just blood in the water and the sharks are now going to eat her alive. Well, the question is, not so much the question is she's clearly not uh, the same spine that Thatcher had. She's not the Iron Lady too. Uh, but are the circumstances different? Did she really have no choice? Did the, is this the revenge of the city, as you call Wall Street over there? Uh, and is that, And if that's true, that seems very ominous to me. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's an interesting question because um, certainly she didn't display the backbone of Margaret Thatcher when um, her first um, budget um, was met with almost universal condemnation, uh, both in the city of London from various um, uh, uh, senior economists, the IMF, the Bank of England. They all seem to absolutely hate it, just as they hated Margaret Thatcher's budget in 1981. Um, uh, and Margaret Thatcher, she used to like to say, there is no alternative, Tina. That became one of her catchphrases. Right, right. But with Liz Truss, it, very, it became quickly clear that her catchphrase was there are many alternatives tamer um which um which obviously is <laughs> suggests she's not made of the same stuff but you know she may have had i mean one of the advantages margaret thatcher had over liz truss is that margaret thatcher had five years in opposition she had an opportunity to forge her legislative program to roll the pitch in preparation for that program in her party she didn't initiate thatcherite policy straight away she bided her time. She initially had a cabinet of many talents uniting the different factions within the party, whereas Liz Truss seemed to want to hit the ground running. Uh, she'd done no pitch rolling. She had no opportunity to develop her legislative programme in a period of opposition. She didn't She didn't put anyone in her cabinet from the other side. They were all kind of diehard Liz Truss loyalists. She almost kind of reveled. Her team almost reveled in kind of being political intransigent and not compromising in any way so she found herself very isolated when things started to turn and then as you say she then immediately began to u-turn make concessions try to calm the markets and win over her critics at which point she just looked weak it was blood in the water the sharks began to circle and it wasn't long before she was um uh, uh, ripped from limb from limb Toby, last question. James Lally's here. I was talking with a friend uh, in Suffolk this morning, and she was in a completely foul mood. A tree had fallen and taken down the internet. The dog had the shivers. Her husband had COVID, and she does, didn't want to turn on the kettle because the price of energy was so damned high. 
When you mentioned that the Labour Party is poised to come back, what are their energy policies? And uh, aside, I, I assume, from nationalization and getting magic energy out of the Golden Goose, are they any better when it comes to dealing with the problems that Britain faces with a consistent energy supply? No, I don't think anyone seriously believes that Labour would do a better job at solving our energy problems. Um, they've gone all in on net zero. They want. They don't want to lift the fracking ban. Um, uh, they're big on sustainable energy, green energy, which, as we know, is not going to meet the needs, the energy needs of the British people or British industry. Um, yes, they will probably nationalise various um, energy companies, gas and electricity providers, uh, and they intend, I think, to impose windfall taxes on private companies. So if they do well, one year they have to pay more tax uh, which will of course mean that they'll get the hell out of Dodge and go and relocate somewhere else. Um, so I don't think anyone has much confidence that Labour will be able to address this crisis. Um, it's it's a long-term crisis, and the only real solution, I think, is to go nuclear. Uh, but that's not a quick solution. That takes about 10 years before you begin to see the benefits, and politicians tend not to think uh, 10 years ahead. It's more like 24 hours ahead. So God knows if we're ever going to solve the problem. Well, one of the reasons we like to have you here is we feel better about our own situation in America after hearing how it's going over in yeah, finally on the, <laughs> on the scepter dial. Uh, but great. Utopia is ever a pleasure. We feel smarter for having had you on here and had it all explained to us. Good luck. Uh, right, good luck, Toby. Aren't you, uh, you're, you're technically eligible to be the next PM. Is that, is that correct? No, um, you have to be a member of the Parliamentary Conservative Party okay. to be a all contestant right. in the leadership election. So regrettably. Seems like bad planning on your part bad planning <laughs> all right toby thanks hey, thanks we'll talk to you later thanks toby ah uh, yes ah uh, but you know the thing of it is talking to my friend just being reminded of what it's like in england it may be a little bit drizzly and cold and clammy and fall like but that, that's just, when the seasons change you like that and it is a beautiful place to be it's beautiful here it's beautiful there i love fall there's not enough of it one of the things I love about fall, though, is, you know, getting into bed at the end of a cool day and snuggling into warm sheets, nothing better. And you say, I have sheets. Are there other sheets I should buy? <clears throat> yes. Yes, when you're ready to hop into a soft, cozy bed, your sheets make a big difference. And that's why Bold and Brand Sheets use only the best 100% organic cotton threads on the earth. You know, as I say, week after week, they get softer with every wash. Now, I'm not here to tell you that every single square inch of my epidermis is so finely calibrated that it can tell the difference, but it's, you know, it's a general impression that you get over time. It's like these sheets just get better and better. My bed gets worse and worse, but my sheets get better and better. Signature hemmed sheets, that, that's the one. They're best-selling for a reason. They're made from the highest quality threads for a superior softness and a better night's sleep. They're buttery cozy, super breathable. So they're perfect for this season and all the other ones, frankly. You'll feel the difference the moment you lie down on them for the first time, and they just get better and better as you wash them. But don't take my word for it. No, why would you? No, you can find more than 25,000 rave customer reviews and counting. So try the sheets that will make this fall the coziest season of the year. Get 15% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code RICOCHET at BowlandBranch.com. That's BowlandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. Promo code Ricochet. And we thank Bowland Ranch for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Now we welcome back to the podcast 
And it's been way too long. Jim Garrity, senior political correspondent of the National Review. His morning jolts newsletter and the Three Martini Lunch podcast are must subscribes. Go there, do that. It's midterm season, so we thought that we'd bring Jim on since he is the guy to talk about these things. So, Jim, if I remember correctly, there was first, ah, it's going to be a landslide for the Republicans, and then Democrats making strange new surges and progress. And now it's back to uh, they're hitting the wall. Uh, they can't, they've hit their, their upper limit. And uh, give us a read on how you see it in particular, how you see Pennsylvania turning out. Because the last thing, the last shot I saw of Fetterman was the strangest bit of political imagery that I'd seen in some time. Honest to God, this huge, enormous, hulking man with his tie askew saying nothing and looking mutely about like some character in um, in, 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 in a computer-generated movie. I mean, he's got the physique of Gru from uh, I, uh, this day. <laughs> I mean, I, I shouldn't make I shouldn't make comments like, but the guy is a peculiar visual, uh, to, to say the least. He is. It is really good to see you guys. Um, and and I, <laughs> I'm glad you guys had me on because I feel like in the last three days or so, there's just been a barrage of new polls day after day that are all pretty much breaking the way the Republicans would like them to go. Uh, not necessarily leading all of them. But almost every race the Republicans would want to have competitive and in the ballpark appears to be in there. And Pennsylvania is one of them. Uh, The last one, which was done by the local Fox station out in Pennsylvania, showed a tie race. And if you want to say, okay, I don't know if I trust that one, fine. But the three of the last four polls had had Fetterman up by two. So about two percentage points. So you look at that and you're like, okay, that's a close race. Uh, Oz certainly seems to have picked up a heck of a lot of momentum. I was making fun of him earlier this year, calling him the Ford Pinto of uh, Republican Senate candidates. And I stand by that because he wasn't doing a lot of events. Um, Look, he, he, you know, I jokingly had said he'd been a Republican for about 20 minutes. This was a guy who stepped into the, the Senate race with really no history of being associated with conservative causes or past Republican efforts. A whole bunch of people just said, oh, he's running for Senate and just assumed he was a Democrat um, and rather surprised to see that. And so, you know, won a very hard fought primary by the skin of his teeth, had a lot of work to do to reunite the Republicans. Um, It was interesting for a while, the number of Republicans who were voting for him self-identified Republicans in polls was higher than the number of self-identified Republicans who said they felt favorable towards him. Like the clearest example of people holding their nose and choosing to vote for you. But then I kind of feel like particularly, you know, uh, Fetterman had his stroke in mid-May. And I kind of feel like as spring turned to summer and it turned to fall, people noticed, hey, we're not seeing a lot about this guy. Um, And oh, by the way, you know, Oz was running wave after wave of ads hitting Fetterman for his record on crime. And, it, you know, crime rates in Philadelphia are significantly are really high up there. This is on people's minds. And people started noticing that this is when you would usually see a candidate out on the campaign trail doing a whole bunch of events a day and, and, you know, trying to crisscross the state. And Fetterman was doing one or two events, speaking for maybe 10 minutes. I've seen, you know, watch videos of him having perfectly normal presentations where you really wouldn't tell there's all that much wrong with him. Chances are you've probably seen some of the ones that went viral where it's pretty clear he's having a hard time getting those words out. And so... Um, I don't think the issue for Fetterman so much is the fact that he had a stroke, although 
I, you know, I would remind people he had the stroke the Friday before the election, the primary election, didn't put out a statement till Sunday. And then five hours before the polls closed, they announced that he was having additional surgery. So I think you can raise the question of just how much he was open about what was going on in those last couple of days before the primary, when Democrats might have decided, hey, let's go with one of these other options. They had a congressman and a state representative running. Yeah. Betterman won the primary by a wide margin. But I kind of feel like the, the question for Pennsylvanians is, well, you weren't really honest about this in the beginning. Are you being honest with it now? And I, he, they debate on October 25th. I think if Fetterman goes out and, and you know, if he goes out and he has a perfectly fine night, people will say, okay, this is much ado about nothing. What was all that about? Right. But if he goes out there yeah. and, and, you know, has trouble getting his words out or looks confused or something like that, uh, you know, I think it could be Katie bar the door and you could see Oz win this, maybe not by such a close race. Uh, Jim, it's Steve Hayward out in California. Uh, I'll give you a prediction. I'll bet Fetterman drops out of the debate next week. There'll be some excuse for claimed. That's a, mark it down for now. Uh, two questions for you. With all the data and all the uh, chatter breaking so one-sidedly in one direction, uh, the first question I have for you is, what are some of the long shots you think we should pay attention to that may well surprise us on election night? And the second question is one that um, uh, I think you'd have a good handle on. Obviously, DeSantis is going to be reelected in Florida and Greg Abbott's going to be reelected in Texas. Is there an over underline where if, for example, if DeSantis wins by 10 or 12 points, that that automatically propels him up as arguably ahead of Trump for the 2024 nomination? So I'm glad you asked that, because just this morning, two new polls came out, one in Florida, one in Texas. And for some you know, it's, they're keeping it simple. They both have the Republican up by 11. Uh, no, mm. look, I think we all knew Greg Abbott was going to be at minimum heavily favored to win re-election in Texas. I think everybody knew Ron DeSantis was heavily favored and that Democrats would need some sort of, I, sh I shouldn't use the term perfect storm in the context of Florida, but just kind of this <laughs> idea of a really perfect sequence of events to, to knock these guys off. And I think you're right. I think the margin of victory for DeSantis We'll have a great deal about the perception of momentum if he decides to run for president. I don't know if I see a scenario where DeSantis is the favorite against Trump, um, at least as of you know November of this year or December of this year. Um, but I, I think that will create a lot of momentum and something on par with that 11 point lead in the poll out this morning would be a statement. You know, Trump won Florida by one percentage point in 2016. He won it by about three, three and a half points in 2020. It is a Republican-leaning state, but it's not by a huge margin. People forget Rick Scott won the governorship by the skin of his teeth two years in a row. Uh, DeSantis last time only won by about 1% against uh, Andrew Gillum. So, yeah, Republicans do well in Florida, but they usually don't win by a huge margin. So winning by 9, 10, 11 points, that's a landslide by Florida standards. Um, Greg Abbott doesn't have that. Uh, it, I, I haven't heard too many people really seriously speculating about him as a presidential candidate. I like the guy a lot, and I wouldn't mind seeing that, but he doesn't seem to be all that interested in it, at least at this stage of his life. Um, but I, I, what I find that interesting is that I, I feel like I've been writing, if not the same piece, then many similar pieces about Beta O'Rourke going back four years now. And <laughs> I, I marvel at how Democrats talk themselves into saying, this is the year, this is good. And every this time I year, write about right. it, the, the Twitter and the comment section, there are people who are absolutely convinced that this is it. And the, the example I just spotlighted in the corner at National Review uh, earlier today, it's a San Antonio local paper. I'm not saying this is a major voice, but they, they, they're they writing a profile of the thing. And they talk about how 
they really think Beta O'Rourke's got momentum because they were at a concert series <laughs> in Austin. And people were saying, hey, let's go, Beto. And they even heard some profanity in reference to Greg Abbott. Well, a concert series in Austin. Now, I, 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 you have a very wow. well-educated audience. I assume they know that Austin is, as Rick Perry characterized it, the blueberry in the bowl of tomato soup. This is this is where all the Democrats <laughs> in Texas live. Not all of them, but you, you get the right. idea. Uh, and I went back and I looked. Travis County, last time around, when Ga- Abbott was winning re-election pretty handily, he lost it two to one. This is a Democratic stronghold. This is a Democratic stronghold at a concert series. Do you think you get a lots of hardcore Republicans at these Austin, <laughs> you know, music Texas festivals? Republican <laughs> at the Austin city limits? Um yeah, I think right, Jim's Rob along in New York. So I th- thanks for joining us. I think when you hear someone talk about, it, I got the momentum. The momentum, you know, they've lost, right? It's like that's not you don't want you don't win by momentum. You win by actual votes. So, in your vast knowledge and historical perspective, have um, the polls ever overstated Republican support? Yeah, I feel like it's rarer. Um, I mean, if you're I guess I bet. should say, since I mentioned a bunch of the, you know, poll numbers and all that stuff, I understand after 2020, I understand after 2016, a lot of people, ah, the polls, they're always nonsense, all that stuff. If you look at them in aggregate, if you look at them, yeah, you, occasionally you'll see a wild, crazy, how the hell did that happen? And probably like exhibit A would be last year or last cycle's Senate race in Maine. Everybody right. had Susan Collins losing. Everybody thought Sarah Gideon, the Democratic nominee, was going to win and win by like, eight, nine, 10 points, not necessarily a close one. And Collins won handily. I mean, I, I've campaigned, uh, friends who work in campaigns for years and years and years, and they always kind of roll their eyes and say, yeah, the free polls that you all look at that you don't pay $20,000 a night for, yeah, they may be a little bit inaccurate, but we pay a lot of money for them. You know, Put it this way, nobody in the Trump campaign in 2020 uh, was saying they were surprised by the outcome in uh, uh, in Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or Arizona, they knew what the outcome was going to be because their polls were incredibly accurate. Um, all right, so so the question is okay. So is it possible that we're looking at an election? I mean, it, my, here here are my my uh, my assumptions. One, you have a, a, a an unpopular president in a, of a party that has got controls the House and the Senate in a time of high inflation, economic, uh, near recession, if not recession, and deep, deep uncertainty, they should go down in flames. Yeah. You have uh, an opposition party that has, you know, just numerically more opportunities to pick up seats. They should win in, uh, it should be a giant red wave. To me, if I was going to predict, it looks to me like Republicans kind of eke out the Senate a little bit and not the House, but but basically make a little bit of make, make some gains, but not nearly what they should. Democrats uh, lose, but not nearly what they should. Everybody, <laughs> everybody turns in a D plus that these two <laughs> parties are so incompetent that they can't even succeed at things that they should be able to succeed at. They are these, these are D plus parties. Am okay. I am I being too hard? You no, know, no. Okay, I think you can look at a bunch of the Republican candidates, and as of as of like a month ago, I would have said, um, you know, Oz Oz is doing better than he was, but he's not going to win. And now mm-hmm. I think it's probably a jump ball. Uh, Herschel Walker, yeah, it's less than ideal when an allegation of paying for an abortion comes out about a month before the election. And let's face it, Herschel Walker was not the most eloquent candidate to begin with before he had this 
uh, right. you know, accusation thrown at him. Uh, Blake Masters. Do you think he's going to win? You think he's going to win? Um, I'll tell you what. I think Walker keeps Warnock below fifty percent, which puts the race in a runoff that goes right. to, on December sixth. And I think if the Senate comes down to that, then I think Herschel Walker wins. If it's if Republicans already have fifty one votes and the constant the, the who controls the Senate isn't at stake, I think that maybe you get some Georgia Republicans who pulled the, who held their nose and pulled it yeah. for him. I think they might stay home in the runoff a bit. Uh, but you also might have Democrats who wouldn't be as motivated. So I think that's still kind of a jump ball. Well, what's um, the difference between? I know you, I, I know we don't, we got to run, but what's what do you think the difference is between um, how uh, Brian Kemp's vote total mm. and Herschel Walker's vote total? You know what I'm saying? Like how many? Yeah. How um, many Georgia Republicans are enthusiastic going to go, go and reelect Brian Kemp and love it? And are not gonna just not gonna vote for Herschel Walker, not gonna gonna leave that blank in Wisconsin style. Yeah, it, it's five to ten. And if it's five, I think you know, Walker does okay. If it's ten, it's probably not okay. Uh yeah. in addition to being an incumbent, Kemp has the advantage of running against Stacey Abrams, who I think Republicans really don't like, Georgia Republicans, and who I think Georgia Republicans, whatever they feel about the 2020 election and Trump claiming it was stolen and it was Venezuelan hackers and bamboo and the you know, all, all the kind of crazy stuff, they know that, you know, two years earlier, uh, what Stacey Abrams was saying was not that far from it. That is, she too was right. claiming that votes were thrown out and that she was the real winner, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that just sticks in the craw of Georgia Republicans. So they're they're really motivated. And I think also Georgia independents who might have voted for her in 2018 mm-hmm. kind of look at her as a bit more of a wacko now. Don't don't feel as warm and fuzzy about her, uh, in addition to losing the all-star game and various other factors that have happened since right. then. Uh, Jim, uh, sadly, out here in the People's Republic of California, the red wave or tsunami is looking more like a ripple, ironic for the state that gave us the Beach Boys and is a big surf spot. Uh, The one exception I think uh, to pay attention to, and I think you have a bit, is the L.A. Mm. mayor's race. Uh, where some recent polls show it close, and uh, Rick Caruso, the Republican turned independent or whatever he is, uh, possibly winning against Karen Bass, who's really quite left. And of course, as people know, there's this recent scandal about uh, the Hispanic members of the LA City Council. Uh, shall we say, uh, lots of racist tropes about blacks. And I think this will be an interesting test of the general backlash against soft on crime, urban governance. Um, and so I don't know, keep your eye on that. Do you, uh, do you have any other possible uh, urban areas that may surprise us? Well, Lan He Chen uh, running for state controller out yes. there. Now, yeah. I know, look, it, that's that's way down on the ballot, but that is a job in which you're basically looking at the state spending, picking out waste and mismanagement yeah. and fraud and bet, you know, bet. Uh, that's that sounds like the perfect role. That's where you want a Republican Californians. That's that's the kind of job. Yeah, he's the he's the only Republican that I know statewide candidate who's up on TV with some good ads. Uh, and uh, I mean, he's a lifelong Californian and Rob spent a lot of time here. In the in statewide races, the Republicans often do better in the controller's race because there are enough voters who say, oh, they're the people who actually watch the pocketbook and, you know, right, the, the people who say they're socially liberal, fiscally conservative. So, yeah, I'm, I'm bullish on Lonnie also. Yeah. Um, your point about the Los Angeles mayor's race, I, I, you know, they had this odd primary system and there was a chance that Caruso was going to win it outright back in the spring, yeah. a couple percentage points short, you know, look, he's got more money than God and he's got tons of, of resources that help. Um, Karen Bass is undoubtedly the candidate of the democratic establishment. 
Uh, and, you know, obviously, you, you guys out in California know the situation in Los Angeles, crime and homelessness are really just off the charts. That is something like that perfect storm to get a guy. You know, again, we should have, Caruso says he's not a Republican. Now, he's still on the Reagan Library Board, which I think is kind of a good, useful <laughs> indicator of what kind of guy he is. Um, but, you know, so these are near ideal circumstances. Now, it's one of the things there was a last poll, I think it was by the Los Angeles Times or it was reported in the Los Angeles Times that had him within three, which is good. You know, you can clearly make up a margin like that on Election Day. But it was one of those weird situations that was amongst likely voters. And if you expanded it to registered voters, Bass was actually ahead, which is not what you usually like. That's kind of an oh, interesting. So if, if turnout got higher, that actually might work in Bass's. Oh, by the way, turnout in Los Angeles elections are traditionally really, really low because usually yeah. they're not held on election day with everything else. So it's kind of this is this is a little bit of a whole new world where people aren't exactly sure what the makeup of the electorate is going to be. So obviously, I would not overlook him. Um, I, I don't think it's been interesting to see because I don't think there's as many. You know, it's not like the New York City mayor's race is on the ballot. It's not like. Um, I mean, I haven't paid attention to uh, the District of Columbia. I believe they banned Republicans uh, two or three years after <laughs> yeah. I, after yeah. I left. <laughs> yeah. You did. That's right. The advantage yeah. of being a, a Republican in the District of Columbia used to be like when I voted for George W. Bush and they're showing the updated vote totals on the bottom of the screen, it would go from five to six. And I'd say, hey, that's my vote. That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, I'd ask you how you feel about the upcoming election of the sewer board commissioner in Minot, North Dakota, but I'd be terrified to find that you actually have some information on that. It's like uh, Michael Barone Michael 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 level of granularity here. And I, you know, I have to trust that you are actually talking about real people and not just making up candidates from some sort of mad lib board that you have on the other side of your microphone. Uh, but no, you know, he knows this stuff. And that's why the morning jolt and three martini lunch are so much fun. Uh, Jim Garrity, thank you for coming back. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, after the election to find out exactly why you were right about absolutely everything. Uh, I hope so. All right. Good to, always good to see you guys. Take care. All right. Dave, Thanks, Jim. Bye. And go Jets. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I had to spoil it there, I guess. The, here's the thing, though. I, you know, I, I, I wonder if it's possible because, you know, you have you have your television. I don't know if you guys do. You, you, Rob, you, you're a football guy, right? You watch lots of football. No, and he's muted himself. And he, I think he's swearing extensively. And Stephen, I don't know about you. I do, but, I do. I, I tend uh, to watch it. I, I, I don't have a broadcast here, so I have a hard time finding it in my home. But I definitely mm-hmm. watch it um, with other people drinking. Yeah. Well, we I enjoy it, of course, and we get the Vikings game. But you know, you think there are other games going on that I'm never going to see because they're in other markets, and it's like that with an awful lot of television and streaming content mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, there's lots of content everywhere, but you think. Oh, that's an onerous responsibility to seek it out. I'm I'm, I'm terrified of the of the energy it would take to go find that content elsewhere. Well, yeah, it is October. It is terrifying, spooky season. It's perfect time to visit haunted houses, you know, and discover the secret passageways in those houses. Look through all the hidden, scary surprises they got there in those places. I've been there. <laughs> but just like you wouldn't go to a haunted house and skip all the good stuff, you know, run right through. Same goes for Netflix. What do you mean by that? Well, okay, look. Why would you pay for a monthly subscription but skip 90% of the good stuff that's out there? Luckily, with ExpressVPN, you can just tap one button to access all the best hidden shows on Netflix. If you didn't already know this, Netflix has different content in every country. The shows, the movies we get in the U.S., are just a fraction of what they actually have in the platform. But with ExpressVPN, you can change your online location to make it look like you're in a different country. ExpressVPN has nearly 100 different countries to choose from, so you can watch any Netflix library you want. Wow, 
You can explore ExpressVPN and find Top Gun in French. <laughs> what do they say? Parasite on the Canadian Netflix and the whole Lord of the Rings series on Turkish Netflix. I'm convinced the Turks have already made their own version of it, and that's probably there too. Who knows? Here's the best part. It's not just for Netflix. ExpressVPN works with pretty much all the streaming services, Disney+, Plus, Shutter, BBC Player. So you can access so many more shows and movies. ExpressVPN has apps for your devices as well, your phone, your tablet, your TVs. Make it easy for you to watch shows however you want. So get your money's worth and get three extra months of ExpressVPN for free when you go to expressvpn.com slash ricochet. That's expressvpn.com slash ricochet. expressvpn.com slash ricochet. And we thank ExpressVPN for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Uh, before we go, a couple of things. Rob, as ever, has to remind you that yeah. Ricochet is not just this sort of floating thing in the cloud where people get together. Under no, it's an IRL experience, no. James. IRL, IRL experience. IRL. That's what we're into. Ricochet or IRL. Uh, and we <laughs> actually, we, we are... are absolutely enthusiastically jumping into the IRL world. When you join ricochet.com, you'll know what we're talking about. Uh, we have meetups. Our members get together. Um, speaking of racing a glass and watching football, where are they getting together? Here are some hints. We're going to get some people together in Kilmarnock, Kilmarnock, Virginia on Sunday, the 23rd of this month. So that's actually in a couple days. Uh, there's also a group meeting on the National Review Institute cruise November. That's what Jim referred to. It, it won't be us, but it'll be some Ricochet members and some young guys from NR. Um, we have one scheduled in Pittsburgh in December. There are meetups in Sarasota, Vacaville, in Sarasota, Florida, Vacaville, California in January, and in New Orleans next April during French Quarter Fest. That's going to be a blast. You got to make plans for that. Now, if these things are too far away or you can't make it or for whatever reason the schedule doesn't match, there is a solution. You're not doomed to live a lonely, sad existence. You just have to join Ricochet. Then you give us a place and time, and I guarantee you Ricochet will come to you. That's what our members want to do more than anything is get together. So for details on Ricochet meetups, go to ricochet.com slash events or look on the sidebar on the site. The only thing you got to do to join Ricochet and join this community is join Ricochet. And join this community, ricochet.com. We want you to join. Wise words. Rob, we know you have to leave, but I hope you've got time to stick around for this one. And I want Stephen your input as well. Uh, we've been seeing lately the, the thing to do to change people's minds is no longer to stand in front of traffic and keep the ambulances from getting to the hospital. No, it's to glue your hands to, sing, to things, which seems to me to be unwise, because if you have a policeman, a gendarme, somebody who is unlikely to indulge you, the ripping off of that hand from said object involves a no small amount of pain. Unless, of course, you're dealing with civilized people uh, who know how to get the message across. In Germany, uh, we had some green activists who, who glued themselves to cars into the floor at a Volkswagen plant because they are dead absolutely serious about Volkswagen committing to decarbonization now. Well, here's the problem. They've tweeted out the following. Volkswagen told us they support our right to protest, but they refused our request to provide us with a bowl to urinate and defecate in, in a decent <laughs> manner, while we are <laughs> glued, and they have turned off the heating. People in support can't get out of the building. So, surprisingly, in a decent manner to give these people the bowl, a pot to you, you know, so yeah. is this the is this the proper approach? Are we going to see more of that going forward? And it's the it's the arrogance of these people in their white coats and their logos and their neatly trimmed beards and their arrogant stares of certainty who've glued themselves to things. <laughs> Ergo, you have since they have yeah. glued themselves to the Florida car, we are obligated to dump the entire 
foundation of Amer- of Western prosperity and comfort and ease in order to accede uh, to their disease- demands. So what do we say? Is, is, is a bowl too much? Is a bowl too, is lack of a bowl too <laughs> inhumane? <laughs> Well, the uh, you know, my first thought was uh, I reminded one of Rob's old stories. The only thing missing from the tweets from the people gluing themselves with petroleum paste super glue, by the way, is <laughs> the tweet says it's just like oh, this is just like Auschwitz. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine any tactics more designed to alienate uh, the broad swath of ordinary people in the world than doing this. Uh, it's not just uh, this is the newest tactic, uh, uh, you know, throwing um, tomato soup on a Van Gogh a, a painting and gluing yourself to the wall. But a lot of these folks, uh, you know, when I was in England this summer, I was on a train from Glasgow down to London and we stopped. I forget where we had to get off the train because of one of these Extinction Rebellion mm-hmm. uh, protests had blocked the tracks for all the southbound trains heading to London and it disrupted everybody's day and all the train schedules. Uh, I, this is not a, a, a not a way to win, um, uh, win friends and influence people. Yeah, so I'm, 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 am I right in thinking this happened in Germany? Yes. Yes. You know, I don't know what happened to Germany recently, but I, I suspect we have um, Vladimir Putin to thank. I mean, they're going to rearm. They're turning on uh, their nuclear power plants, at least three of them, apparently. <laughs> and they refuse to give it to the Greens at a VW plant. I mean, who's who's the president of, of Germany? Is it Ron DeSantis? This seems like. Um, a very welcome turn of events. Three and, events we're, che- like and, and we're cheering it. That's the funny part. Look, oh, look. Che- yeah. Germany's got its spine back. They're rearming. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's okay. A prominent right. role. I take your point <laughs> there. But, Ger- yeah, but if, if they're uh, if they're standing up to the Greens, to activists who glue themselves to stuff and then say, "Now you got to take care of me," which is the, all you need to know about socialism, right? Uh, I'm going to do these terrible things to myself and my family, and then you have to take care of me and clean me up. Like I'm an infant, right? I I don't even I don't even they didn't even wear diapers, right? They just assumed that you take care of them. Um, <laughs> this is a welcome attitude. This is a welcome. There's a couple of good signs here. One is that they're they're just turning off the heat in the building and yep. letting them just sit their own filth. You glued yourself to the floor. You pay the price. Another is that little kind of like crackpot little girl Greta Thunberg. Whatever you know, God, you know, you know. I can't believe I'm saying something nice about that, her, but she's the one saying, "No, we need more nuclear power plants. You, can, you don't, yeah. don't fire up the coal plants." I mean, what? I mean, I, I guess it goes right back to the beginning. It's like we need to learn as a people, as a movement, how to take yes for an answer. When we're winning, we got to win. We got to press the success. We're too busy focusing on the people we're against. We got to like march forward with a bunch of, you know, I'm to the barricades with Greta Thunberg. She, I'll, you know, I'll march for a nuclear power with her. I mean, it won't be much fun. She doesn't seem like she's like a fun kind of person, but I'll do it if it means they're going to turn on the nukes in, in, uh, in Europe and God willing here. Let us open. Yeah, I, I, I think the biggest slow motion story right now is that the climate change movement is dying in front of our <laughs> eyes. And, I, and Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin are the two people doing yeah. it. It's too it's long so to lay great. out now. But, but the Biden's uh, Biden's in, uh, climate business and the inflation, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act is actually a strategic defeat for the climatistas, as I call them. Takes a while to explain that. But we're going to waste half a trillion dollars. But we didn't get a price on carbon, which has always been object one. We didn't get a big regulatory scheme uh, that the climate 
Batistas has also always wanted. All we're going to do is build a lot of wind and solar we don't need that locks in natural gas as a perpetual backup for it. So in the meantime, the administration has a new three part plan, though, to solve this energy crisis. One, uh, they're going to uh, release an afternoon's use of gasoline from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And two, uh, they're going to refill it when the price gets right. And three, they're strongly encouraging energy companies to uh, to to lower their prices. So that ought to do it. What the Republicans can and should run on is the fact that when Trump tried to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve a couple of three years ago, the Democrats were very happy about blocking it. And Schumer made the announcement that they had they had turned down a windfall for big oil. Okay, all right, let's let them let's let them run on that. And also the idea that when when the Republicans tried to ban the sale of SPR uh, fuel to China, it was the Democrats who said, no, no, absolutely not. For whatever reason, just simply because the Republicans wanted to do it, they were automatically gainsaying. Things like that tell you exactly who's serious about this stuff. And yes, the fact that uh, we're going to have a bunch of wonderful little windmills. You know, I, I hate to think that I'm going to go back to Britain after the labor rights take power and there'll be a big big windmill spinning at the top of big ben but i hope not right now i'm just gratified by the sight of this picture this tweet of the uh, protesters gluing themselves to the floor without their buckets and i note that one glued his left hand to the floor and the other glued his right hand to the floor which presumes to me that they glued their hands with foreknowledge of which ones they might need in a defecatory situation. And now are having to deal with the mm. fact that they're not going to get their pot. They might have well have glued both hands to the floor or to a car. I wonder if they're kicking themselves, except they probably glued their feet as well. That's it for us. We thank our sponsors, <laughs> ExpressVPN, Bolden Branch, and Quip, and the rest of it. Thanks, Stephen, for sitting in for Peter. Someday he'll be back. But in the meantime, we got you, and yeah. it's great. Uh, join Ricochet. Why don't you leave us that five star review? Why don't you? And uh, come back next week and see what we got then. Why don't you, gentlemen? It's been fun, and we'll see everybody in the comments at Ricochet 4.0. Next week, fellas. Ricochet. Join the conversation.